Good morning. I'm JP. I'm one of the lay elders here at Trinity. I have not recently had a baby. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, If this is your first time here with us, welcome. We're glad you could be with us today. We're doing something slightly different for the month of January than what we typically do. Normally, we just preach through books of the Bible here at Trinity. Um, But for the month of January, we're, we're stepping back from our normal series to work through a series called Calibrate. And the purpose of this series is to really zero in on the four defining core values of our church and to, um, to remind ourselves of these things, the, the, the things that are, that are deepest and truest to what we are committed to as a church. Um, and so each of the elders will be taking a different week teaching on those. Um, and we think it's important for two reasons. One, it's important just to continually be brought back to and reminded of these things that are so core to who we are, these um, values that really shape um, what we prioritize and how we go about being a church. But then secondly, we think it's really important as members of the church to know what does it really look like to be a member of the church? What does it really look like to practice and to inhabit those four values? Because the four values we're going to go through, pretty much any Orthodox Protestant church in the world would say we value those things too. But the way that each of those churches really seeks to organize itself and to practice those values is going to differ quite a bit. And so I think it's helpful because we all come from different backgrounds in terms of churches. Maybe you're, you, you've been visiting this church for a few months and you're trying to decide, gosh, do I want to, you know, what am I signing up for if I decide to be a covenant member at Trinity? And so for many reasons, I think it's helpful just to drill down on these are our values. And specifically, here's what, how we seek to live out these values uniquely at this particular church, at Trinity Community Church. So um, this morning, we're going to be looking at our core value of mission, mission, inviting other people to become followers of Christ. And, and as we get started, um, I want to start with sort of the, the biblical basis of why this is one of our core values, and then we'll move to more of the practical, how have we and how are we seeking to organize ourselves for this. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath your chair. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 21. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because... We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Would you pray with me? Father, we humble ourselves before you to acknowledge that as Everett and I were discussing before the beginning of the sermon that what follows could be the greatest sermon that humans have ever experienced, but if your Holy Spirit is not present, it will fall flat and accomplish nothing. And it could be the absolute worst sermon humans have ever experienced, which is far more likely, Um, but if your Spirit is present, it changes us. And so we humble ourselves before you to say, Father, we need you as listeners of this word to be changed, to be challenged, to be given the humility, to be confronted with areas where we still live for ourselves and to see the beauty of living for you by living for other people in Christian mission. I need you as a preacher. You know how I'm tired and weak and just, you know where I am at the end of this week and... um, And I I need you, Father, to give me clarity and strength and enable me to serve these people well through the preaching of your word. So we ask that your spirit be present and active and moving um, in us and that you would, this morning, take us just a few steps further along this beautiful and gritty road we call discipleship. Amen. So in this passage, Paul tells us a lot of things about Christian mission. There are a lot of things that we could go into that he he works out for us in these verses. Um, But he tells us at least this thing, that a Christian's life, one who is following after Christ, a Christian's life should be characterized by two things, a distinct movement and a distinct message. A distinct movement and a distinct message. You see this most clearly in verse 20 where he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so here we see the movement, the movement that we as followers of Christ are to continually be moving toward people with gospel intentionality, that that God has called us out of our sin. He's called us out of the darkness in which we once lived. He's made us into his community, and he now sends us into the world, and he sends us with a particular movement that we are to have an intentionality about our lives that everywhere we go, if it's where we live, where we work, where we hobby, whatever we do, that we are always postured toward people with a sense of gospel intentionality, a, a desire, and a, and a moving toward people with the hope that as we connect with people that we would be able to connect people to the love of Christ. So on an, on an individual level, that means that we go with gospel intentionality to the people God has placed in our lives, in the normal stuff of our lives. We, we reorient our lives around the mission of God. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that where we go in daily life changes. It may, but, it, but it's not primarily focused on the fact that where we go in daily life changes, but how we go, where we go in daily life should be changed if we are followers of Christ, that in everything we do, we are ambassadors for Christ, and so we represent him through word and deed to the people in our lives. That's what an ambassador does. When we appoint a foreign ambassador, we don't say, now go back home and enjoy your life. When we appoint a foreign ambassador, they go. They go to the people to whom they've been been appointed. And it's the same here, that we are envoys of Christ, that we go into the world, a particular movement going toward people with gospel intentionality. So that's the movement. And the second thing we see in this passage is that our lives should be characterized by a particular message. 
And that message is that we go speaking the gospel. The second part of verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so as we go in wise, whimsical, humble ways, we implore people to be reconciled to God. That our, our mission, a significant part of our mission, is a spoken mission. There is a gospel, a good news that we go out speaking and proclaiming to people. And so our, this is something that should be on the tips of our tongues, that we should go hoping that we would be able to speak this message of the gospel. And at this point um, in the sermon, usually it only takes saying the word evangelism for evangelistic guilt to begin to fall over a church, especially now when you have these really grandiose ideas of our lives being characterized by movement and by this particular message. And so the, I know I should share my faith more or be more open about my faith, but it's so difficult. Those are the thoughts that start to settle in. Well, I haven't told you the most important thing, I think, that Paul says about mission in this passage. The most important thing that I think that Paul tells us about Christian mission in this passage is the way that Paul begins this section by saying to us that mission is the consequence or mission is the overflow of the gospel getting deep inside of us. To the degree that the gospel gets deep into our inner being will we have the love of Christ for other people. To the degree that the gospel gets deep into our inner being will we relate to people in the same way that Christ is related to us. That if we don't go out as evangelists for a political ideology or party, that we don't go out as evangelists for our way or the highway, we don't go out with the sole goal of just winning arguments or beating people into submission, but we go to people in the same way that Christ has come to us in a deep sense of love and humility and serving and telling us that there is a greater life that we can have and inviting us into that life. And so the most important thing you can hear before dread for, oh, all right, I'm going to commit to sharing the gospel at least three times a week. That's my New Year's resolution. That's not where Paul starts. Paul starts with gospel. To the degree that the gospel is deep inside of us and we are experiencing the gospel in our own lives, that is what then transforms and sends us out. Look how he begins the passage. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. So, so to give you the context here in this, in this section in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is explaining to his audience why he's on mission for God. And in verse 13, when he says, if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. What he's essentially saying is that we have reoriented our entire life around serving God by serving people, specifically in the mission to which God has called us. So I've reoriented my entire life around this mission. So that should create this natural question. Well, why, Paul? What, what has happened in your life to so transform you that you would reorient your life on serving people in a mission that would cost you dearly? And that's the question he begins to answer in verse 14 when he says, For the reason we have reoriented, the reason I have reoriented my life around mission, for the love of Christ controls us, constrains us, directs us, reorients us, motivates us, moves us toward people because the gospel has gotten deep inside me. The love of Christ controls me. And notice how Paul works this out in verse 14. Paul describes and says that the love of Christ for us is the explanation of his love for people. 
The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you see it? It all starts with gospel. That's why we started this series last week on gospel and how the gospel changes everything. The love of Christ controls us because we have experienced the love of God in this way, that Christ died on our behalf. He has brought us to the fullness experience of life by liberating us, liberating us from living for ourselves to live for God by living for the ultimate good of other people. Do you remember a Christmas carol? We're still close enough to Christmas that some of these historic Christmas movies should still be on your mind. The general plot of, of A Christmas Carol, you're introduced to Ebenezer Scrooge, who is a man devoted only to himself. Um, he is presented as this miserable, greedy man. And when in the movie does Ebenezer Scrooge step into life? It's when something happens that warms and changes his heart. It warms and changes his heart, and then he reorients his life around loving and serving other people. In a sense, that's what Paul is saying as he starts this explanation around his ministry and why he has reoriented his life around the mission of God, that the love of Christ controls us because Christ has awakened our hearts from living for ourselves and called us into life by living for God, by living for other people. And if that is true, if the gospel is really getting deep inside of us and the gospel is warming our hearts and the gospel is transforming us, then the natural overflow of that is that our lives will then take on this movement toward people with gospel intentionality and our lives will be celebrating and excited about this mission that Christ has called us to. And so, this is... Throughout the New Testament, I was recently, I was talking to someone, and, um, and I said, you know, I, I'm a Christian and everything, but, I, but really, is mission and is evangelism really that big of a deal? After all, how many times in the Bible do you see the Scriptures explicitly state, aside from the Great Commission, that we're supposed to be evangelizing, that we're supposed to be on mission? Which I thought was a really good point, right? I mean, you're thinking about it now. Some of you are like, okay, which... And and you're looking for it. And I think one of the reasons you don't have this repeated, it's throughout in many different ways, but why you don't have this explicit Great Commission continually repeated is because you don't repeat the most obvious things. When your king's final words before returning to heaven is go make disciples, it becomes a foundational ultimate thing. And here Paul is showing us why the love of Christ, the gospel, and the love of Christ transforms us and allows us to go out onto this mission. So God calls us as individual Christians and as a community to live as his ambassadors. But here's the question. Uh, the question before us this morning, how do we as a church, Trinity Community Church, how do we organize ourselves to most wisely and effectively participate in the mission to which God has called us? How do we do that? And here's what I mean by that. Think about it this way. Um, In 1954, just a few years ago, Billy Graham spoke at an event. It was a series of events for about a week. And by the end of the week, over 40,000 people came forward. And here's the most remarkable thing about that. Of those 40,000 people, over 90% of the people that came forward were churchgoers. They were churchgoers. Because in 1954, particularly in the U.S., most people at least assumed I should go to church. Or people just assumed church is a good thing. Or people that had sort of fallen out of church when they had kids suddenly thought, we have kids. They need to have some kind of moral bearing in this world. Let's go to church. 
That was the main mindset of night back in 1954. And so, um, and so, so here, it, back in the 1940s or 1950s, we saw this new thing happen. I was just listening to a, a, a talk by Tim Keller on this, a lecture on this. And he was observing the shift that we saw and what began to happen in the 1940s and 50s. And he said, here's something that happened back in the 1950s. Pastors realized that evangelism is incredibly inefficient. It's really difficult to motivate your church to be faithful to the Great Commission. And so if everybody, you know, most people in the culture assume that being in church is a good thing. Here's how we do evangelism. Here's how we grow our churches. We just need to have really, really good preaching and really, really good music and great programs. We just need to have this well-choreographed thing. And if people are already looking for some church to be part of, we just have to do our church better than the church down the road, and people will come. And that was largely how most churches in the U.S. have gone about evangelism and, and seeking to connect people to the love of Christ in the last 40 or 50 years. If you haven't noticed, it is no longer 1954. Tim Keller concluded this talk, or toward the end of it, he said this, and I thought it was a very helpful statement as we consider how we organize ourselves for mission. He said, here's the problem, here's the mistake we made. We made the mistake of relying on marketing instead of evangelism, and we've built churches that don't need the Holy Spirit. And I think that's very true. And many of us grew up in churches like that, right? Really great programs. If you build it, they will come. Our cultural moment has changed. We no longer live in 1954. We live in a new cultural moment. Most people no longer assume church is necessary or even good, and that will increasingly be the case. So having great preaching or music or programs, all those things are good. They're beneficial in many ways. They will never connect to our neighbors in the way they did in 1954. Marketing will never be effective. And so as a church then, we must continually ask, in our cultural moment in Lake County, in this particular year, how do we organize ourselves for mission? And there are four distinct ways that the elders believe our church needs to think about and, and approach mission in our cultural moment, in the season that we are in as a, as a culture. And so I want to give you those four, and with the four, I'll give you a why, why we think this is important, and I'll try to give you a how. Um, you will be disappointed with some of the hows, because some of the hows will be, just wait, it's coming. Um, but at least we want you to know where we're, where we're, we're hoping to go. So here's, here are the four, some of these four um, practices, if you will, of how we want to organize our, ourselves for the sake of mission. The first one is this. Um, understand that we are a sent people. That, that is foundational to our very identity. That, that going, being sent is not something that we are simply called to do. It is part of our identity that, that we are always, from the very beginning when God first called the community, his community has always been a sent people, a proclaiming people. And so for us, then, the first one is this, is that we are sent to be neighbors. We are sent to be neighbors. Why? Why is this important? Um, the earliest Christian communities that we see in the New Testament engaged primarily in mission by being good neighbors with gospel intentionality. Um, there were very few first church of Antioch with a budget of $5 billion a year and really great marketing, right? This is how we see the early church taking the world by storm was by individual Christians being great neighbors with gospel intentionality. Mission begins by building intentional community where we are, our neighborhoods, jobs, hobbies, gyms, libraries, all of these things. Bringing God to those around us happens through humble acts of hospitality and love as we seek to share 
the love of Christ with outsiders. I think 1 Peter is a really great example of this. If you just read through 1 Peter continually, Peter is talking about the way that Christians should engage with people who don't hold to Christian belief to, toward the outsiders of their community. And there are a number of these things that he says he urges believers to pray for and support the emperor, to live wisely toward outsiders, uh, for domestic relationships to bear witness to our faith, to live in such a way among outsiders that they're sort of prompted to ask about our faith. And so throughout 1 Peter, you get this, I, this, this image, if you, if you read it closely, this picture of a community of people who are going into the natural stuff of their lives but with gospel intentionality, seeking to love and bless their neighbors and to live among people, and this being primarily the way that people are introduced to and come in contact with, with Christ and with the Christian message. Um, some of you know my, my dad was a pastor. I'm from the Deep South, um, very deep, like go further south than us and you're in the Gulf of Mexico south. Um, and so my dad was a pastor in that context. And, and I remember one time we had we'd just moved to the panhandle of Florida, which is basically Alabama melting into the top of Florida is what the panhandle is. That's where we lived. Um, and we had these neighbors, the Kennedys, and um, we moved in, and the Kennedys came over. Robert, that was the, the husband's name, he came over and, and met us, and he said, what do you guys do? What do you do? And what brings you to town? And my dad said, well, I'm the new pastor at such and such church down the street. And here was Mr. Kennedy's response. You're a pastor? Yep. You see that row of trees between our houses? You don't cross that line into my yard. I won't cross the line into your yard. And that was it. And it was that ice cold for years. And so... And so, um, in a context, like just general rule of thumb, in a context, best approach, probably not to stand in his front yard yelling, you know, hellfire and brimstone, or to give marketing flyers to him. And here's what I saw. Here's what I had to watch my dad do. Is my dad just continued loving this family. And, and there, was this, there was this one moment, there's an elderly lady in our church, and a giant pecan tree had gotten blown over by a hurricane deep south. Um, it had gotten blown over, and so Dad was going to go chop this thing up to help this lady. And so he went over to, to Mr. Kennedy's house, knocks on the door, and he said, Hey, I know you want to shoot me right now, but I noticed that you're almost out of firewood. There's a lady in our church. Tree got cut down, you know, got blown over. I'm going to go cut it down. I need some help. I'll split the firewood with you. Uh, here's one of the things, great things still about the South is that all the faults that may be there, folks still believe in, in helping, helping the older folks in the community. He says, All right, I'm happy to come help. And so through that, this, 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 this really great relationship began to build through my dad just seeking to be a great neighbor to Mr. Kennedy. I think so often the reason that, one of the reasons Christians get so terrified about evangelism is that you think that from the very first interaction you have with somebody, you have to go in, quote the entire book of Romans to them, have them sign a card and get baptized in your bathtub that night. <laughs> right? Like, it has, it's a process, Right? It's this process of just innate, you know, interacting with people and interacting with people with the love of Christ and rubbing shoulders with our neighbors, being good neighbors. And, and through that, allowing God to continually plant the seeds of the gospel as you interact with the people 
around whom you live, where you, who you work with, who you hobby with, etc. So that's, that's one of the reasons of, of why. Why, is, why are we not trying to build lots of big events and just give you marketing flyers to invite people to come? Um, we don't want to have a come and see type of mindset. We want to have a go, live, and speak type of mindset where you are equipped and enabled to go into the natural rhythms of your life with gospel intentionality. The second reason is this, is that in our, to help you just understand some cultural commentary, um, in our cultural moment, people want to belong before they believe. Uh, in our cultural moment, people want to belong before they believe. What do we mean by that? Um, in our cultural moment, faith and, and, and the way that people interact with faith works a lot like Stitch, fl- stitch Fix or, or Amazon Wardrobe. If you're not familiar with these, you sign up and, and a box of clothes shows up for you and you can kind of try the clothes on and, and that's how you kind of figure, oh, is this for me? Is it not for me? And whatever you don't like, you put in a box and you send back. Um, you don't have to pay for it until it shows up, Right. Well, in a lot of ways, that's the way that people interact with faith now. It's not, I just want to hear a case made for your faith, and I'll decide whether or not I want to believe the Christian message. People want to see how this Christian thing works. It's not enough just to say, here are my five apologetic points as to why you should believe in Jesus, but people want to see how Christianity works in the day-to-day stuff of life. Like, how does this Christian thing work when you get laid off? How does this Christian thing work when your marriage is really struggling? How does this Christian thing work when your marriage is going really well? How does this Christian thing work when you have little kids and you haven't slept in five years? Like, what does Christianity have to do with those things? How does the gospel that you talk about intersect with and change those parts of life? And people can never see that. They can never try it on, so to speak. They can never get close enough to the gospel in real life if they're not close to your life. Once upon a time, I think we used to really compartmentalize the church, and so you had to like, distinctly defined evangelistic events um, you remember Friendship Sundays? Did you ever be in a church one of those? Friendship Sundays? Like, that was the time when you were supposed to invite people and the preacher would try really hard to have a good sermon? <laughs> Friendship Sundays. And then you had these discipleship events, where, and you never mixed them, right? The discipleship event, they were for Christians, and they were really to help you go deeper in your faith. And then the, and then the evangelistic things were over here, and they're totally separate. Our cultural moment, that's just dumb. It doesn't work. And here's why. People who are exploring Christian faith, they need to see how this discipleship thing works, and that's one of the most effective ways that you can do this evangelism thing. Which is why we urge you that one of the greatest places to bring people who are exploring Christianity is into your community group. And let them sit in your community group and listen to a marriage that's really struggling. And let them see how you help bring the gospel to bear in that. That's what they need to see. And all of the other stuff that you work through in community group. Bring them into your group. Amazon wardrobe that thing. Let them see how you're wearing and let them see how this works. And so it's a, another huge reason of the why. Why are we urging the most effective thing we can do to bring the love of Christ to people is to be great neighbors. It's for those, those reasons in particular. So the how um, as I said, we don't host a ton of events here designed to attract people. Instead, we send you into your neighborhoods, jobs, hobbies, asking this question, how can I connect with people so that I can connect people with the love of Christ? How can I be so close to other people and invite people into my life that they're able to see how Christianity and how the gospel fleshes itself out in the day-to-day rhythms of your life? They need to see that stuff. Um, 
you know, we're, we're affiliated with Nine Marks Ministries, and Mark Dever is one of the main guys that started Nine Marks, and he, he tells the story of when he was, uh, I believe it was when he was doing his PhD work at Cambridge, um, and there was a, an atheist guy that lived down the hall from him, and he said, look, I grew up in a Christian home, very strict, fundamentalist kind of Christian home, and I just don't buy it. But through this friendship that they had developed, um, he was talking to Mark, and he said, you know, you just, you just seem like you represent something different about Christianity that I never saw. Um, but still... I saw, I grew up in this Christian home and I saw this angry sort of, you know, fundamentalist kind of thing. Why should I believe this gospel? What really makes your life any different than mine? And I love this. Here's Mark's response. Move in with me. Move in with me. Just watch. Watch my life. And he wasn't saying that arrogantly to say, well, I am so spiritual that this is the closest you will ever get to Jesus. That wasn't his point. His point was you need to see that Christianity is broken people continually bringing their brokenness to God and relying fully on the finished work of Christ and that that's our only hope. Move in with me and see how this works. The guy did not take him up on his offer, but they did have this continued really great relationship where the guy was able to see it. Be great neighbors. Secondly, um, the second thing... uh, how we want to organize ourselves, that we believe that we are sent to be storytellers. We are sent to be storytellers. Again, the why and the how. The first why is this. Story shapes us. Story shapes us. It is impossible to understand ourselves without story. It's impossible to make sense of our lives or to know anything about ourselves without story. So if I, if I were to say to you, tell me something about yourself, eventually you would begin telling me things that you'd be, you believe to be true about yourself. I'm a failure, I'm competent, I'm a good parent, I'm a bad parent. You'd begin to, eventually I would begin seeing these heart beliefs that you have about yourself that you really believe to be true about yourself. And if I were to ask, why do you believe that thing to be true about you? Why do you believe that to be true? Did you just wake up one day and think, I'm a failure. I don't know why, but I'm a failure. Or did you just wake up one day and think, I'm brilliant. I just am. No. We know things to be true about ourselves. We make sense of our lives because of story. The stories of our lives shape what we believe about ourselves, about other people, about the world around us. And here is why we believe that we as a church need to be a people of storytellers, that we're sent to be storytellers, is that the story of God is the great true story that washes over all of our little stories and makes us new. That the story of God retells our stories and redeems us from the stories that we have written for ourselves. As a community, we need to understand how the story of God intersects the stories of our lives and changes us. This became so clear to me when I think I was a senior in high school. Um, I remember one night there was this sophomore girl from our school that had come to this youth event at our church. I was a brand new Christian, didn't know much about anything, but this girl shows up and I noticed toward the end of the event she was just sitting by herself crying. She's crying profusely. And so I walked over and, um, and, I, and I sat beside her and I, and I said, you know, are, are you okay? Always a stupid question to ask somebody who's alone weeping. But I, it's all I knew. And so, so, and so she goes, and so she starts talking and here's, here's what she finally, she said, she says, I'm just a dirty person and I always will be. And then she starts to tell me about her life, about the things that her stepfather had done to her and that her mother just let her stepfather do. 
And she told me about her relationships with all the guys on the football team and the basketball team and the baseball team. And, it just went, and, and she said, I'm just a dirty person. Why did she believe this to be true about herself? Because her story told her over and over, this is true of you. And this was the really cool part of her story is that I moved off to college and several years I, I, I'd gone back and I bumped into her in, the, in this town I grew up and I bumped into her and she, and she comes up and she says, hey, you may not remember me, my name's Ashley. Do you remember that time um, when I was like in the 10th grade and we were talking and I told you that I'm just a dirty person and I always will be? I was like, yeah, I, I remember this. And she said, I have to tell you something. Um, she, say, she, she said, God has rewritten my story. I said, what do you mean? And she went into her story, and she, and, and she told me of how she had come to faith in Christ. And, and she said, the great thing about it is that the story of God, that God has created all things good, that all things became crooked because of sin, but that God has stepped into the world to renew all things. That's the story of God. And I finally realized how the story of God connects into my life, that he created me good, and that there is innate value and beauty in being human, but because of sin, I had become crooked. And because of sin, I had become shameful because of what had done, been done to me. But God has stepped into my life, and he's transforming my life and rewriting my story and redeeming from everything. And what I told you back then, I knew to be true, was that I was this dirty person. Here's what I know to be true now. I am beloved. I am forgiven. I am adopted. Story shapes us. It absolutely shapes us. And we need to be a people who understand the story of God and how the story of God intersects every part of our lives and changes it. The second reason that we believe we're sent to be storytellers and why this is so important is that in our cultural moment, story transfers meaning. And here's what I mean by that. 20 years ago, effective evangelism was often just very linear and logical. You may remember the four spiritual laws, which is kind of this say this, then say this, then say, and, or, or evangelism explosion that walked you through a series of diagnostic questions. And, it was, and I'm not speaking bad. They were very effective during their cultural moment. But that's not our cultural moment anymore. The cultural moment in which we live, one of the most effective ways of speaking truth and transferring meaning of um, communicating the gospel is through story. In our cultural moment, the most effective way to share our faith is not necessarily this logical, linear, four spiritual laws type of approach, but it's through story. As we go out on mission, we do so as storytellers. We tell the story of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. We tell the stories of what Jesus has done in our lives. We tell biblical stories and invite people to engage with those stories as a way of exploring the Christian faith. We explain the stories of our world through the lens of biblical narrative. Because here's the thing, everyone is trying to make sense out of this crooked world in which we live. Everyone is looking and going, why in the world can we not end the shutdown? What in the world's wrong with our country? What's wrong with our political system? What's wrong with the, everybody's trying to answer these questions. And here's the thing, if they never have the story of God overlaid into the normal challenges that we face in day-to-day life, they're never going to get how God is restoring things. We are storytellers. We want to step into the questions that people are asking and and to help people see the world around us through the story of God and how God is seeking to renew and restore all things. So how do you do this? This is where I told you you'd be disappointed because I don't have an answer for you this morning. Um, The answer is this, that in the coming months, we're going to be offering some some different classes for you to learn more of... um, 
the story-formed way, how, to, how you use story, not only to understand yourself and as a tool of discipleship, but also for the purpose of evangelism. So, sent to be storytellers. Third, we're sent to be disciple-makers. We're sent to be disciple-makers. Why? If, if you grew up in church, particularly from 1954 through probably the 80s or 90s, if not now, if you grew up in church, you probably adopted a mindset toward discipleship that assumes one of two things. Either discipleship is the job of trained professionals, pastors and staff. That's what, you know, we bring people here to this building for the professionals to disciple them. Um, or discipleship is primarily something that happens in a class, usually taught by the professionals. Um, well, here's the thing that we believe. Two things. One is that we believe everyone is responsible for discipling people from conversion to maturity. Everyone, every member is a disciple maker. We believe that every member is a missionary, which therefore means that everyone is a disciple maker. We all have the privilege of intentionally discipling people from the moment they believe in Christ all the way through Christian maturity. This is the whole point of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 that says he gave shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So everyone is called to disciple, to make other, people, make other disciples. Secondly, why this is so critical to us is that everyone is responsible for discipling each other. Now, there's definitely a place for life-on-life discipleship where someone who's been you know, walking in the faith several years, maybe longer, and they take people, and maybe you meet with one or two people, and there's a place for that, and we want it active. But here's another part of discipleship that we don't often think through, which is that everyone is responsible for discipling each other. And that the most effective way of discipleship is not in a classroom, it's in community. It's in community where we disciple each other in the ways of Christ through life-on-life discipleship, through the normal stuff of life that we're dealing with. We, we long for our church to be a multi-generational and multi-ethnic community of people who are seeking to follow Christ in all of life. We long for this. Um, most of you know Melinda Spencer was in our community group, and since Melinda died... Um, our group has not been the same. Because when Melinda died, we lost a sister who had walked with Jesus um, longer than some of us had been alive. And she brought those decades of walking with Christ and helped disciple us. She, She taught us to die well. She taught us to face the final chapters of her life in a godly way and with great joy. And when so many of, I think, her counterparts sort of seemed to be bitter or just kind of getting lukewarm, Melinda finished the, she crossed the finish line so strong, and our group has not been the same since. We need, oh, we need a multi-generational church where people are pouring in each other. We need a multi-ethnic church. Um, he will hate that I'm saying this, but Alan Hernandez I'm pointing at you. He's, he's in my community group. Alan is this young Latino man in our community group. Alan disciples me because I am this middle-aged white man, and he helps me wrestle through issues of our day from a perspective that I simply don't have and never can because it's a multi-ethnic group. And we need that. We need people challenging and just coming around the word of God as our ultimate authority, but from different ethnicities, from different cultures, from different ages, all of that coming together and helping disciple each other in the faith. I have to move on. I'm already going late. Um, Again, here we're going to be um, offering some opportunities to help train and equip you in, in discipleship. Finally, fourth one, how do we uniquely organize ourselves? This We are sent to, to cross barriers. We are sent to cross barriers. 
And what do we mean by this? In, in a sense, everyone is called to cross barriers for the gospel, crossing the street, barriers of disbelief, those types of things. In a sense, everyone's called to create barriers, but, but there are places throughout the world and pockets throughout our own country that will never hear the gospel unless someone crosses significant barriers, geographic barriers, language barriers, cultural barriers, etc., to bring the gospel to them. We often refer to this type of barrier crossing as global missions. Um, the reason we're using this term crossing barriers is because we love the imagery that that conveys. More than global missions, that, that, that crossing barriers conveys the imagery, this idea that, that, that going to those places and bringing the gospel to those places will require significantly more resource planning and sending. And so we as a church are called to be part of this global effort to cross barriers for the sake of the gospel. Why? It's because God calls us as a community of Jesus' disciples to bring the gospel to every nation. This is part of our identity. Not just one of those things that we're supposed to do and you can choose to be obedient or disobedient. It's woven to the very identity. We are a proclaiming, sending, going people. We go and proclaim. And so as a local church, Trinity Community Church shares that identity. And for this reason, we organize ourselves to effectively engage in crossing global barriers for the gospel. And this means two things for us. First, it means that some of us are to go and cross those barriers. Secondly, it means that some of us are called to support those who go and cross those barriers. And regardless, um, if you are called to go or if you're called to sin, we are equally called cross barriers as a community, either by going or by sending. So some of us go, some of us sin, all of us inhabit this identity as God's going and proclaiming community. So the gospel works itself deep into our hearts, and the overflow of experiencing the gospel is that our lives take on a distinct movement, our lives take on a distinct message, and we believe and, and, and seek to, as a church, to organize, organize ourselves by being great neighbors, by being disciple makers, um, believing that everyone is sent to go and to make disciples, by being storytellers, and then finally to be crossing barriers, either by sending or by going. Let's pray. Father, I know that in just one talk, we can't fully capture perhaps some, some of the nuances of what makes this vision of how we organize ourselves different than perhaps what we're used to. And so I pray that you would you'd give us wisdom and find us faithful to ongoing teaching and modeling and, and, and helping our people really work this into our lives. I pray that... that um, that the ultimate thing would be happening, and that is that our hearts would be continually transformed by the gospel, that the gospel would be getting deep inside each of us, and that the overflow of that would be um, a moving toward people with gospel intentionality, and that we would do that by, being, by, by neighboring well, by learning to tell the story of God and, and how your story has intersected and changed our stories, that we would all see ourselves as disciple-makers and, and playing a pivotal role of being disciple-makers, and that you would give us a great tireless zeal for participating in this mission um, in Lake County and around the world. 
Amen. Amen.